0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, October 6th, we are studying Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 35 to 63. Having exposed his people as an unfaithful bride, the Lord now pronounces the judgment upon his people for their adulterous idolatry. Yet even after his judgment, the Lord promises faithfulness, and mercy. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Tim Cook. Pastor Cook serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Millbank, South Dakota. Pastor Cook, welcome back to Sharp Iron.
1: It's good to be back.
0: Even for a chapter like Ezekiel 16.
1: Even like this one. We'll find uh, Jesus and the Gospel in
0: here. That's it's right. Too much trouble. That's right, that's right. Yeah, this is the this is the conclusion of what we started yesterday, a very lengthy chapter uh, describing, again, Israel as this unfaithful bride. Pastor Cook, just by way of introduction, what do we need to remember from the text that preceded, and anything about Ezekiel that'll be helpful for the conclusion of chapter 16 today?
1: Yeah, uh, he's speaking to Jerusalem, and he talks about how, you know, she was born by heretics, uh, you know, Hittite, Amorite, uh, and more or less left wallowing in her blood um, as a baby, so abandoned and dying. And that Christ, uh, or rather God, which we'll see fulfilled in Christ, takes uh, this uh, child from her sorry estate and, uh, and provides for her, and turns her into a beautiful woman and uh, supplies for her needs, at which point she becomes faithless. Uh, and takes on, uh, you know, just the most abominable uh, sins possible. Uh, and that we get the extraordinarily uh, graphic and disgusting uh, detail of that information leading up until this point. And he's going to continue that conversation to her and with her um, leading up to this is what's going to happen and this is what I'm going to do. As a result of that, and he won't—he uh, still is not going to shy away from the the graphic, uh, dare I say, hypersexualized language. So,
0: it just as as part of that introduction, Pastor Hook, and I think the language does tone down ever so slightly in the portion that we've got for today compared to the language we heard yesterday. But thinking about the chapter as a whole, with that with that very graphic language that the prophet uses, how do we approach sections like this in Holy Scripture, where the language is, I think, shocking to our sensibilities particularly?
1: Yeah, I because it's talking about sin, I think we would say that it sin is really that shameful. Mm. It's really that embarrassing. It's really that out of place. It is really that offensive. And if it's that offensive to us it is uh it is that offensive to our lord and so um cfw walter has this great line in his proper distinction about long gospel about how sin is only as serious as the one it offends conclusion it offends god so it's a pretty serious uh pretty serious matter and so it really is—it um, really is as disgusting as a baby born and abandoned and left in blood, um, and uh, and then all the details details that follow. So let's not go out of our way to try to make scripture say something other than it says. I mean, the, the words the words are there, but this is not graphic language that is designed to glorify or otherwise highlight in positive overtones the faithlessness of israel it's a deep dive into i have repeatedly told you that this is inappropriate gross despicable despising before my eyes Uh, i hate it and now we're just going to very briefly it feels long because it's a long chapter but it is throughout the entire representation of scripture a very brief portion uh where we we kind of pull back and see how gross sin is and how offensive it is not just to the the eyes of our lord but but to our the ears of the sanctified it's just this is you want to get away from it as quickly as possible or you should um, and of course, the solution then is to retreat to Christ, where the forgiveness of sins and the casting of this away from us, as far as the East from, is from the West, uh, begins to look brighter and brighter and brighter.
0: Uh, that was a very, very helpful, especially when you put it in contrast to that forgiveness, that this, the shame of this chapter is completely put away from us in Christ. So let's, let's run away from this shame to Christ, who covers that unrighteousness. So with that introduction, then let's keep reading here in Ezekiel 16. We're picking up in verse 35 this morning, the abominations, the sin has been described. Now we're turning more to what's the judgment that the Lord's going to give. So Ezekiel 16, beginning at verse 35. Therefore, O prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because your lust was poured out and your nakedness uncovered in your whorings with your lovers and with all your abominable idols, and because of the blood of your children that you gave to them. Therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all those you loved, and all those you hated. I will gather them against you from every side, and will uncover your nakedness to them, that they may see all your nakedness. And I will judge you as women who commit adultery and shed blood are judged, and bring upon you the blood of wrath and jealousy, and I will give you into their hands, and they shall throw down your vaulted chamber and break down your lofty places. They shall strip you of your clothes and take your beautiful jewels and leave you naked and bare. They shall bring up a crowd against you, and they shall stone you and cut you to pieces with, the so- with their swords. And they shall burn your houses and execute judgments upon you in the sight of many women. I will make you stop playing the whore, and you shall also give payment no more. So will I satisfy my wrath on you, and my jealousy shall depart from you. I will be calm, and will no more be angry. Because you have not remembered the days of your youth, but have enraged me with all these things. Therefore, behold, I have returned your deeds upon your head, declares the Lord God. Have you not committed lewdness in addition to all your abominations? I think we'll pause there, Pastor Cook. That takes us through verse 43 of the chapter pastor cook this this section as a whole it seems that basically if I can summarize it this way the Lord is telling his people everything that you've done I'm turning on its head in judgment toward you what what would you highlight from this section uh
1: the failure of um, idols okay so the prostitutes unfaithful Jerusalem's um, religious <laughs> on infidelity here um, and her dallying um, and gallivanting with other nations and gods uh, results not in her being loved, not in her thriving or prospering, but it it results in her embarrassment, her nakedness, her shame, and frankly, her death. Um, And so he talks about how they will, uh, in verse 39, they shall strip you of your clothes, take your beautiful jewels, and leave you naked and bare. That's where this all started, Hmm. which is that, I mean, she's like a dog returning to its vomit. Uh, These actions, this um, faithlessness, this infidelity to God who claimed her uh, as his own in spite of no beautiful thing about her, Uh, She has returned to that in her idolatry. Um, And so these idols to whom she gave gifts, there's this reference to the blood of children, right? Child Mm -hmm. sacrifice. I mean, she gave the best of everything she had, and uh, it didn't work. It didn't help. It didn't bless. It didn't support. It didn't endure. And so that's where I would, yeah, the the way you phrased it, all the actions are kind of coming back upon her. And uh, the silliness and the failure of idols to make good on promises, Mm. (laughs) uh, whether spoken by them or imposed upon them by our own desires, uh, are all laid bare. Uh, And the shame of putting our trust in such a silly thing um, is, is exposed as well with a repeated reference to uh, her nakedness in the eyes of everyone. So everyone will notice. I mean, when Jerusalem is getting sacked and the temple is being burned down and the people are being carted away, um, you know, what else are you going to say except, well, that didn't work. Right. (laughs) Uh, And so that, that's what we have going, going on here. I guess the, the trust in these other nations, uh didn't work to our advantage after all Mm.
0: so on the one hand you have the the failure of idols that these idols in which israel trusted couldn't deliver on their promises and yet what i mean what strikes me about this is that it's not i guess it's not only the failure of the idols but the lord is is active in doing this so i mean it's I think it's striking how, and we see this throughout the prophets, that the Lord says, you know, I will do this. He, he says, I'll gather all these lovers that you had, all these foreign nations that you made alliances with, and you thought you were going to find help there. I'm now going to be the one that, that gathers them together in order to bring my judgment upon you. It's, so it's a reminder that that this idolatry, not only does it not work, but it also it brings about God's judgment as well. Both of those things, they go together, I guess, is my point. So it's not, does that make sense? And I think that's... It does.
1: Yeah. The verse there that, that really puts us into play is verse 42, where he says, so will I satisfy my wrath upon you, and my jealousy shall depart from you. I will be calm, and I will no more be angry. And so the there's a um, God's wrath is a real thing and it needs to be satisfied and he will satisfy it. He will. And so that's exactly what you're getting at. Like this is actively the work of God. Now uh, we see in our own lives as uh, you know, people who call our churches Zion, Right. Um, which is the city of Jerusalem, we see in ourselves that the wrath of God is satisfied, of course, by the crucifixion of his son. And so Christ is crucified, and he is uh, no more, uh, he's calm and no more angry. And this is Paul's words to the Thessalonians at the end of chapter one, where he says, you've waited on uh, the son of God who satisfies Uh, or who saves us from the wrath to come and that's what that's so god's wrath will will be satisfied and it's his doing um but where are we in relationship to that are we going to bear the brunt of that or will it be poured out elsewhere and the gospel for you and i and all who are listening is that the wrath of god has been poured out on jesus uh, and so we rejoice and worship and thank and praise, serve and obey Him.
0: Right. I mean, those that verse 42, particularly, the language there, I think, does point us to what what God does to His Son in our place. If I guess the, the thing that, that strikes me is that He does say He's going to satisfy His wrath on His people at this point, which is, I guess that's what they're asking for, though. I mean, by engaging all this idolatry and adultery, they're saying, we'll, we'll take it and God says, okay, I'll give it to you, and, and you're going to see how awful it is. And yet, for for those, I mean, as we sit on this side of, of Christ's cross and, and resurrection, we we recognize that's not what we want. We want God to pour it out on his Son instead in our place. But if, if that's what we choose, which is what the people are choosing at this point, then he gives it to them, and he shows them just how awful what they're choosing really is.
1: Yes. I have tried to articulate this in varying uh, degrees of success, but the idea of uh, if you decide you don't want the Lord as your God, he will honor that request, Hmm. and he will honor that request by ceasing to do the things that lords and gods do, provide, protect, save, rescue, and bless. And so when you reject God, just as Jerusalem has rejected Yahweh as her husband, uh, he stops doing the things that husbands are supposed to do for their wives, right? Care, cultivate, protect, uh, increase, and bless. And so, yeah, they're like, we, we don't want you. Saying, okay, fine. But this is what that looks like um, when I'm not here. Yeah. Um, because who can right? There's there, who can compare to our God? That's the great cry. Um, there's no one like you. Um, so, you know, take a deep ba- breath and and uh, trust in trust in the Lord your God. So I appreciate that you brought it back. You know, I, I jumped, of course, immediately to to Christ and the satisfaction on the cross. It's hard not to when you're excited about such gifts.
0: That's right. Uh, but
1: yes, uh, historically situated, uh, this is very much happening in a very real way to the people of Israel in Jerusalem, uh, at the at the time of, I think, the reign of Zedekiah in 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 the kingdom of Judah. Mm. So yes, God's pouring out His wrath in a very real way upon His people, where there is where there is no substitute. Um, if there's any hope to be found among those people, it's among it's among the remnant, right? Mm. That that faithful that faithful people that God preserves uh, in the midst of His wrath.
0: Mm. Right. Yeah. I think. I mean, I th- this conversation helps me draw those two things together that we were talking about earlier. That what the Lord is doing at this point is He's showing His people, look, these people you thought were your lovers your friends, your allies. They actually are your enemies, and I'm going to show you that. And now, because you had chosen them as your friends, as opposed to me, you've made me your enemy as well. And, I mean, that's where, you know, not only does the Lord let his people have what they want in the sense that, you don't want me to be your God? Fine, I won't do the things that a God does for his people. But then he also does what a God does does to his enemies because they've made himself his enemies it's a I mean it's it's just a it's the worst of both sides I guess you you get to see that your idols are your enemies and now you've made God your enemy as well
1: yes and so you are quite literally alone like oh I don't know a baby wallowing in a ditch in its own blood Hmm. right which is where again where there's it keeps he keeps coming back to that Um. Whether explicitly or just by virtue of, hey, this has a lot of similarities to that over there. But, yeah, you've made uh, <laughs> enemies of, yeah, God and everyone else. I mean, when the Babylonians show up, they don't show up and say, hey, let's, let's help you out and show you a better way to, you know, grow figs or something like that. I mean, it's just earth policy, deport. It's just really, really bad. And all this after what? Hezekiah shows them the bounty and the treasury and, right, the g- giving of all these gifts uh, to them. I'm like, oh, that is, um, I mean, that, that doesn't even appease, we know that God isn't appeased by such things, um, but <laughs> these idols aren't appeased by it either. Uh, it's never enough.
0: Yeah. Is there anything else from this section that you would highlight, Pastor Cook, again, verses 35 through through 43 before we move on?
1: Um, verse 43, just that, the word remember, he accuses them, you haven't remembered your days of your youth. Um, and, uh, and then he talks about how your failure to remember en- enrages him. And as you had phrased it, and I like the way you phrased it, we who are on this side of the cross can always remember Uh, the days of our youth so to speak we can always look back so moving into immediate applicability to our hearers who are very much probably not living in jerusalem uh to to fail to remember and treasure the gift of the cross is going to rapidly put us in a you know the consequences will be much of what we're reading about here
0: that phrase, remembering the days of, of your youth, did stand out to me, because I think that's not always the way that we think about that. I mean, for in this context, to remember the days of your youth is to remember all of those gifts that the Lord gave. If, when you go back to oh, about verses 8 and following of this chapter, just the Lord showering his gifts upon his people in their youth— I'm not sure that that's how we think of that, and I know this is maybe a difference in in the, our English use of that phrase, but it just it struck me because to remember the days of the youth here is to think back on all the good things, not that that happened to me or like some sort of you know good old days, but to remember all the blessings that God showered upon me. That's to remember the days of my youth rightly. It just is, I, I found that phrase helpful for that reason in my own. reflections upon what is it that i should be recalling when i think back over my days the ways that god has showered his blessings upon me that's what he would have me remember
1: yes and uh, psalm 77 uh, speaks this way after the great lament um, and it's a very easy passage to remember psalm 77 verse 7 kicks off five very frustrated cries of anguish to the lord that begins with the phrase will the lord spurn forever and never again be favorable, and so we have this anguished lament. But it kicks around. Um, so he says, "All right." Uh, then after he makes his lament, what's what's he going to do? He says, "I will appeal to this. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Oh. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old." Now for Psalm seventy-seven, and uh, which I believe is a Psalm of Asaph, it's you're going to remember the rescue out of Egypt. Um, at the hand of Moses and the passing through the Red Sea and, and the wilderness wanderings and being brought into the Promised Land for you and I, it's death and resurrection of Jesus, um, and so it's very con- it's very consistent, or rather a, a refrain uh, throughout uh, at least of the Psalms that we're, we're, we just in heartache and distress in concern and calamity, we are always going to appeal to. The goodness of God that is revealed to us in Jesus, and when we um, when we say that, you get that revealing language, which is a bit of a pun, because of the revealing of the nakedness of our sin mm-hmm. and shame that's spoken about uh, regarding Jerusalem as a people, portrayed as a faithless bride. Mm-hmm. So, what what are you going to remember? Well, we. Let's, let's remember the goodness of God that's been revealed to us, rather than having everyone remember what God reveals to, us, uh, to them about us. Mm. And so yeah. it's, it's rich. Yeah. It's very rich.
0: Let's keep reading here in Ezekiel 16. We're picking up now at verse 44. Behold, everyone who uses Proverbs will use this proverb about you, like mother, like daughter. You are the daughter of your mother, who loathed her husband and her children, and you are the sister of your sisters, who loathed their husbands and their children. Your mother was a Hittite, and your father an Amorite. And your elder sister is Samaria, who lived with her daughters to the north of you, and your younger sister, who lived to the south of you, is Sodom with her daughters. Not only did you walk in their ways and do according to their abominations, Within a very little time, you were more corrupt than they in all your ways. As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. Samaria has not committed half your sins. You have committed more abominations than they, and have made your sisters appear righteous by all the abominations that you have committed. Bear your disgrace, you also, for you have intervened on behalf of your sisters. Because of your sins in which you acted more abominably than they, they are more in the right than you. So be ashamed, you also, and bear your disgrace, for you have made your sisters appear righteous." I will restore their fortunes, both the fortunes of Sodom and her daughters, and the fortunes of Samaria and her daughters, and I will restore your own fortunes in their midst, that you may bear your disgrace and be ashamed of all that you have done, becoming a consolation to them. As for your sisters, Sodom and her daughters shall return to their former state, and Samaria and her daughters shall return to their former state, and you and your daughters shall return to your former state, Was not your sister Sodom a byword in your mouth in the day of your pride, before your wickedness was uncovered? Now you have become an object of reproach for the daughters of Syria and all those around her, and for the daughters of the Philistines, those all around who despise you. You bear the penalty of your lewdness and your abominations, declares the Lord. That takes us through verse 58 of Ezekiel 16. Pastor Cook, we just got a couple minutes here before the break. Let's talk about that first phrase in this section. The Lord says, "Behold, everyone who uses proverbs will use this proverb about you, like mother, like daughter." What's this matter of, of proverbs? What does this proverb mean? Why is it applied to the people of Jerusalem?
1: Yeah, he he describes the the mother of being a Hittite and the father of the Amorite. So this is the land uh, of Canaan, right? And they were to drive those people those people out of there uh, which they did but not entirely Um, and so uh, he says you just you're of the same character you're of the same kind of uh, faithless uh, lineage and pedigree and so just as they were uh, nations who have committed abominations for which the Lord was driving them out um, in the book of Joshua Uh, You've just, you're the same thing. Nothing has changed. Um, You're you're just like they were because you are taking your marching orders and your loves and your cares and your concerns uh, are just as they're, right, just as they were. So you like the same things. You do the same things. You're like them, and you're not like your uh, Father in heaven. Now, that's not articulated explicitly here, um, but— very much you're taking your marching orders from the very people that i drove out to begin with hmm. and that's got the the dander up and everyone can see it it's like oh they're they're just the same it's more of the same
0: and we will pick up more of this text on the other side of the break you're listening to Sharp iron here on kfuo we're talking the end of ezekiel 16 with pastor tim cook we'll be right back please stick around Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, October 6th. We are studying Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 35 through 63 with Pastor Tim Cook. He's the pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Millbank, South Dakota. Pastor Cook, prior to the break, we were looking at this middle section, verses 44 through 58 of the text. We talked about the proverb that's listed there in verse 44. The Lord here in this section says that he talks about the two sisters of the people of Jerusalem. He he mentions their elder sister Samaria, their younger sister Sodom. Who who are these two? Why does the Lord bring them up in this context?
1: Yeah, both of them are a bit of a, as he says, a byword. Which is Sodom is first of all we have a geographic uh, issue, which is. Uh, Samaria is immediate neighbor to the north. Sodom, immediate neighbor to the south. Uh, chronologically, they are of different character. So the issue of Sodom, very lush land. It was the land chosen by Lot when Abraham came from Ur of Chaldea to uh, to Canaan. Um, and while Lot is there, of course, uh, bad things are occurring, and the Lord sees it and uh, Famously destroys it by raining down uh, what we might say fire and brimstone uh, in Genesis. So this is very this is very early. This is pre-slavery in Egypt uh, language. But because of Sodom's sin and its destruction, the word becomes synonymous with just bad, terrible things. You know, it's uh, don't don't be like that. Uh, Samaria. Uh, is chronologically much later. So the people of Israel uh, come into the promised land. They live under the judges. They demand a king. They get uh, Saul. Saul uh, is replaced by David and his dynasty, and Solomon's son Rehoboam sees that the kingdom is split. Uh, And so you have the northern kingdom of uh, of Israel which finally settles on after bouncing around a few towns with Samaria as its capital. If you remember uh, the entire history of the kings you have um, the northern kingdom is never directed uh, or led by a king who is evaluated by the chronicler as being uh, doing right in the eyes of the lord so they are always known as being uh, faithless and evil. Um, thus when uh, Syria comes comes in, they they sack the city of uh, Samaria, they destroy the northern kingdom and they deport them and then you get kind of this half-breed thing going on which eventually works its way into the into the New Testament as Samaritan. Um, and so we have a story of, of course, the the good Samaritan. Um, and there's still a bit of a, a byword So the people of Judah especially look at Samaria with great disdain um, and precisely because they don't worship in Jerusalem like they're supposed to. they set up these golden calves in Bethel and Dan um, and they're always faithless. So when Jesus is at the well in John 4 the woman who's got so many inter you know personal kind of problems. Uh, Five husbands living with a guy who isn't her husband. Um, It doesn't take long before she makes the subject or the conversation about where it's appropriate uh, to worship. So with that said, you have this history of Jerusalem, where to the north and to the south, Jerusalem folks and citizens can say, well, at least we're not like them, and at least we're not like them. And Jesus or rather God, and through his prophet Ezekiel, says, actually, you are like them, you're so like them, we can call you sisters, and you're worse than they are. Right. Um, and that becomes a, a source of great uh, shame, and it's a rather potent uh, accusation and punch to the people of Judah.
0: Yeah, this, this would have hit them pretty hard to hear that they were worse than both Samaria and Sodom. It, in my own mind, the accusation of being worse than Sodom particularly stands out. Although, what what does strike me is in verse 49, where the Lord describes, as it says in, in the ESV, this is the guilt of your sister Sodom. He doesn't list what I would have thought he would have listed at the beginning. In, instead, he said, she and her daughters had pride excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. That's not usually the sin that I associate with Sodom, but that's what the Lord ascribes to them here as he then goes on to condemn Judah for even worse.
1: Yeah, agreed. You'd expect some reference to, well, sodomy to be referenced, and and it isn't. Um, But uh, there is... uh, It it reminds me a little bit of... uh, Paul, talking about his interaction with, uh, with the apostles in Galatians, where they appeal to him to uh, pay attention uh, and give to the poor. And then he makes this line, this which we were already very eager to do. And so there's always this reference uh, and, and concern for, for the poor and the needy uh, and, the, and the lowest, um, especially throughout the, the New Testament. But the prophets will keep point, pointing that out which is you have people that you can provide for and care for, and, and, you're, and you're neglecting them. And so, yeah, Sodom, this is gets referenced, and you wouldn't classify that as the worst uh, of the sins for which they're known, um, but they're the ones that uh, that the prophet is pointing on. Possibly he's uh, attempting to dis- distance uh, the association with sexual sins because that's what he's been pegging on uh Jerusalem specifically, is is their own, um, you know, sexual infidelity, um, both on a literal and spiritual level.
0: Well, what I mean these these things that are listed there in forty nine, this pride, excess of food, prosperities, not not caring for the poor and needy, and then the matter of being haughty again in verse fifty. I mean, how how do those sins tie into? Again you know when you think back particularly through the way it was described in the first part of this chapter and just the utter disgust that's there these things seem maybe seem lighter but they're really not how, how do these things go together how do, how did these sins that are listed here go together with what we've seen from Jerusalem up to this point
1: well it, it, I'm not sure maybe uh... Uh, but I'm, I'm thinking that it's it's all of uh, kind of the the same – at some point, it falls down to the same character of are you being faithful or are you not being faithful? Yeah. And this is part of what faithfulness entails, which is it's not just, you know, who's sharing the bed, uh, but what other things have you been asked to do? Um, and so, you know, Christ will <clears> – <throat> or – Rather, the prophets will say, you know, I desire mercy, not sacrifice that that kind of language. uh, Certainly fits into uh, how do you honor, uh, respect, or give thanks and praise to God? Well, you do that by uh, showing honor and respect to those things which He has uh, created and attended to. And so you uh, treat them as that which is created valuable in His sight. So uh, that's its own form of.
0: Faithlessness. I do. Yeah, I, I agree with with that. I think that's helpful. the The word pride and the haughtiness that's described in verse fifty, I think, is is important too. When you think about what happened to the people of Jerusalem and Judah, how the Lord, you know, showered his people with those gifts, and then rather than receiving them with with praise, with thanksgiving, with boasting in the Lord, they took pride in those gifts as if they had done something for them or as if those gifts were inherent to them that they were something other than a gift and i think that in that way the the pride is maybe you know that's not what you're expecting but that pride really does stand at the forefront of all this idolatry and everything that's been happening not only what happened in sodom but what happened in jerusalem later that pride really did lie behind all of it
1: sure yeah he, he also makes uh the reference and now I'm scanning rapidly the text uh, about the very little time, verse 47. Uh, Within a very little time, you were uh, more corrupt than they in all your ways. And so I get to wondering about, uh, you know, his, his stunning reversal back to Paul, right? I'm astonished that you so quickly abandoned the gospel, uh, he says to, to the Galatians. But here we we can look at it two ways, just on a on a time front and how quickly this turned. Um, We could we could look just as far back as a single generation to Josiah and his reforms, which were faithful. Uh, And then you you have you know one of his sons tries to reign, doesn't work. Another one of his sons tries to reign, doesn't work. Another one of it just it never seems to to stop on that front. But the judgment against Judah had already been pronounced with the king before that. Manasseh, well, Manasseh was following on the heels of Hezekiah, uh, who is faithful. So you can you don't have to kick it back very far. Um, but um, so I would I would take this as you're looking at Hezekiah and his reign, uh, 722. Shortly thereafter, you get Manasseh in his 55 years, where he is known very much for uh, slaughtering the priests. Uh, killing, sacrificing his children, which we saw that reference to the, the blood uh, of children being given to, to foreign nations, and then some other speculation among commentators, at the very least, that we don't have uh, prophets, per se, from the time of Manasseh, possibly suggesting the idea that he was uh, singly successful in killing them and silencing them all, um, whether by their cowardice and complacency or whether by just his rampant persecution. Uh, for the proclamation of the word, but, but the people of Israel went from uh, God's beloved bride to faithless in just an extremely short period of time, um, very Jekyll and Hyde-ish um, and stunning in its, um, in its failure. And to bring this now, why, why bring that up? Who cares, perhaps, is where we're going with this. Well, who cares it's just your, you, the, the listener uh, and you and I um, as the people of God, this, this is not something we should ever just kind of like lift our break off. Uh, lift our, sorry break off, lift, lift our foot off the gas here, which is we should always be diligent. We should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die. This is not a thing we should just uh, you know you don't coast your way uh, into uh, a faithful relationship with God. It's attended to every day by his gifts. Um, And to uh, reject the gifts at any point is the distance from there to full-blown, you know, whoredom of Jerusalem proportions. It doesn't take long. Uh, So be diligent. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so, yeah, Hmm. be diligent. Stay awake, Jesus would say.
0: So after the Lord makes this comparison between the people of Jerusalem and Judah to their two sisters, Samaria in the north, Sodom in the south, he he says some things that, now, I think we're going to start to make the turn toward mercy, but it's it's coming in a, and we'll definitely see it in the text that we still have left to read, but it's coming in maybe a a strange-sounding way. For example, we get language like in verse 52, "...bear your disgrace, you also, for you have intervened on behalf of your sisters." In verse 53 we start to hear the Lord restoring their fortunes and he goes in in reverse order Sodom then Samaria then you Jerusalem and and he talks about that you Judah Jerusalem you've become a consolation to them what what's the Lord saying in these verses that are coming
1: well, sure you've you've got um, it's not a good consolation okay. which is the the deeds and the wickedness of uh Jerusalem are so bad that Samaria and Sodom, by words of days gone by, are now beginning, well, they're looking righteous. And so I think this uh, compounds the trouble that Jerusalem is in, Mm. whereby by their own deeds, they've taken the vile wickedness of um, the plain and vile wickedness of Samaria and Sodom, and they have made it almost look righteous Mm. in comparison. And, and what a gross thing to do, yeah. which is to take something that is unrighteous and to portray it as righteous because you're so much worse. And so that's uh, that's not that's not good. And so the idea that you could kind of, maybe like moralism, this consolation to them, uh, Samaria and Sodom can say, Ah, well, at least we're not as bad as that guy over there, um, or that city over there. Well, that's not salvation either, and so the, the consolation um, there it, it's an unsatisfying one. Now, God's mercy is so great; He's going to come in. And he's going to bring about restoration to all of them, uh, regardless. Um, and as you said, we're we're moving, we're moving in that direction. But um, their, their deeds have truly complicated the matter. I know Hummel, Horace Hummel, in his commentary, uh, he speaks specifically of verse 54 um, about the idea of bearing your disgrace and ashamed of all that you've done, becoming a consolation to them. Uh, he, he references this almost as a the consolation becomes a justification mm. for them continuing to live as the way that they've lived. Like, um, well, I'll read his quote from his commentary. He says, "Through the ages, the misdeeds of the church of church members have always been a major alibi for unbelievers to reject any missionary invitation to the gospel." Mm-hmm. So he's he, he's reading Horace Hummel, who's certainly smarter than I. Uh, he's reading this consolation as. People are looking to Jerusalem, and they're saying, why would we pay any attention to her God? Mm-hmm. Um, we're better off than they are. Um, and so he, he calls that consolation like an alibi for not having to trust in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's shameful beyond words.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So that that sort of misuse of God's name that has come about because of what the people of Jerusalem have done, That's that's a... Yeah, that, that's a very shameful thing for the people. And it's not, I, I think, if I can say it this way, the consolation that's described here for Sodom and Samaria is not a good one. It's not one that, that quote, works. It, they're using it as a self-justification. Very much like, and this, the the prophet brings this up in verse 56, where he says, you know, your sister Sodom was a byword in your mouth. So the, the people of Jerusalem had said, well, at least we're not as bad as Sodom. And now exactly. the people of Sodom would say, "Well, at least we're not as bad as Jerusalem." And in reality, neither one is going to work. It's all self-justification. Right. Neither one
1: of them is a confession of the Lord, yeah. and His and His inner, and His you know creative power, and His mercy, and His grace, uh, His mighty uh, arm. None of it. It's it's all it's it's empty calories. There's nothing there. It's substantiveless.
0: Well, sad. It really is. It really is. I mean, it's almost like, it, it's kind of, it, it sounds a lot like uh, like what St. What Paul does in his letter to the Romans, where he, he comes to this conclusion, look, you're all unrighteous, Jew or Gentile. And, and that's almost like what, it seems like that's happening here in Ezekiel. Look, you're all unrighteous, Sodom, Samaria, Jerusalem. You're all unrighteous. You try to use each other as excuses. It's not going to work. And, and it's only when you get to the conclusion of this chapter that you actually see the, the real justification. You actually see the mercy of the Lord. So let's, let's read the rest of, of this chapter. We're picking up now Ezekiel 16, verses 59 through the end of this chapter. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done, you who have despised the oath in breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elder and your younger, and I give them to you as daughters, but not on account of the covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame when I atone for you for all that you have done, declares the Lord God. That's the conclusion of Ezekiel chapter 16. That's verses 59 through 63 so pastor cook this uh, this always in the prophets and particularly here in Ezekiel the transition is rather abrupt there's no real reason for the Lord to do this and yet he does the people have been completely faithless to him and yet he says I'm still going to remember my my covenant with you it's I, I think it's a, a reminder of the just the astonishment the am- am- amazingness of grace
1: yeah it is the character of mercy right which is, that's how mercy works. There, there's nothing, it's abrupt. It, there's no kind of like rationale for it. And so this rapid turn to let me love you and redeem you and establish an everlasting covenant, it, it, it doesn't need a reason because that's not how mercy works. Um, it is, as you said, grace. Hmm. It is undeserved loving mercy loving kindness.
0: So what's the what's the promise that the Lord makes? Because again, it's it's not as, you know, like you did this but I still love you. There's some some nuances to the language here. What's the the promise that the Lord is making in his to his people in these mm-hmm. final verses of this chapter?
1: Yeah, his promise is that he's going to remember the covenant he made. Which is uh, they did not remember this at all, and yet the Lord hasn't forgotten. Uh, he's not. He, unlike them, is not an oath breaker or a covenant breaker. He says, "I, I will remember that, um, and I will, I will see to it. Um, in fact, I will, I will establish this as an uh, everlasting covenant." And so he says, "What you know, when you look back on these things, you're, you'll be embarrassed." Uh, you know he references the the sisters again, um, the idea that I will give them to you as daughters. So once again, you will be you will be the place uh, from which uh, a new kind of family pedigree begins. But it's not because of anything you've done. It's because of the grace that I've done in your midst. Now we can make that geographically specific by referencing the. Institution of the Lord's Supper and the sacrifice of the blood of Christ dying on the cross outside of Jerusalem. We can look at this as a, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, and to all Judea and the ends of the earth, um, which is is how I would would run it in its fulfillment through Christ. But you have this everlasting covenant, and it's not just for Jerusalem uh, found wallowing, but it's for Sodom and Samaria and you and I.
0: As the text concludes there, I think this is where the the, the language gets really Christocentric. And, I mean, you, you talked earlier about the satisfaction that, that is going to come from the Lord's anger. And here he says, you know, When I atone for you for all that you have done, declares the Lord God. That, that I think, really is going to point us to the fulfillment in Christ.
1: Yes, yeah. How, how is he... So he's going to do it. He's going to do it. How is he going to do it? Right? And that's exactly... It, he's going to carry it out um, through Christ, his, his death on the cross. And the verse before that, um, or rather the sentence before that in verse 63, about, um, I'm going to establish the covenant. You shall know that I'm the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded, that you never open your mouth again because of your shame. And that reminded me, whether it should have or not, uh, to, I believe it's the first verse of the epistle reading for the Reformation observed, Romans 3, 19, mm-hmm. right? That every, uh, that every mouth will be stopped. The law, the law is going to cause people, right? Their shame, it, it exposes their shame, it reveals their shame and it shuts you up. You have, you have nothing to say. Well, when you have nothing to say, that means the Lord is the one doing the speaking, and that's to be preferred by far.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the Lord speaking is, I love you. I've established a covenant for you. I've atoned for your sins. I've died for you. You know, I think I think you're worth dying for. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the invitation. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest.
0: Pastor Cook, we have about three minutes left on the morning. As you reflect on this section of Ezekiel 16, help us to to summarize what we have in this text and point us again through this text to our Savior, Jesus Christ.
1: There's no more graphic depiction of the shame and the vile nature of sin than this one. Um, It's uncomfortable to read. Um, It's uncomfortable to read by yourself. Uh, I encourage you to read it out loud to children or, or, or friends, and, and it will, it'll kind of make your, it'll make your skin crawl. And yet, into this, the, the deepest, most depraved kind of articulation of shame uh, and sin in Scripture, you have God uh, shouldering his way in uh, to speak a word of comfort, uh, and love, uh, he he works his way into the absolute depths of all that there is uh, to supply his grace, and so it it shows us again the character of our of our Lord. Whereas you and I might prefer to quickly be done with studying this chapter and move on to the sprig, uh, the eagle, and the vine in chapter 17. Uh, the Lord, he, he, he comes here intentionally um, with, with His grace because He doesn't like it either. Um, and, and He will put it away, as we started the beginning of this uh, study. Uh, he's going to cast the shame from you as far as the East is from the West, and He will remember your sins no more. But rather, He will remember uh, His covenant with you. Uh, particularly because of the merit and work of his son who atoned for all of this nastiness on the nastiness of the cross.
0: Pastor Tim Cook is pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Millbank, South Dakota, helping us today with Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 35 to 63. Pastor Cook, thanks for being our guest today.
1: Thank you for having me on.
0: I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel, comments on the series, we would love to hear from you. Please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org, or use the open mic feature on the app to send up to a 60-second message to us. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.